Worship in the World is a screen-free worship experience brought to you by Downtown Church. Downtown Church is a community of unfinished people based in Columbia, South Carolina. We believe in asking honest questions while we strive to follow Christ within our own communities, loving people wherever they find themselves on their faith journey. Thank you for being with us today. If I could be you, if you could be me for just one hour If we could find a way to get inside each other's mind If I could see you through my steady old ego I believe you'd be surprised that you can blind Walk a mile in my shoes Walk a mile in my shoes Yeah, before you abuse, criticize and accuse Walk a mile in my shoes Now there are people on reservations Out in the ghetto If I only had the wings of a little angel Don't you know I'd fly to the top of the mountain Then I'd cry Walk a mile in my shoes Walk a mile in my shoes Yeah, before you abuse, criticize and God, we come to you today in a spirit of gratitude 
seeking your guidance and your wisdom. We thank you for the gift of this day, for the gift of life and the gift of breath, the gift of fellowship, for the opportunity to gather together in worship. Help us to open our hearts and minds to your love and to your mercy, that we may be filled with compassion for ourselves and for others. Grant us the courage to extend your grace to those in need and to show kindness to those around us, even when they're not kind. We pray in your holy name, amen. Let us stand and sing together, please. What a fellowship, what a joy divine. You can find it inside of your program. There are some Sundays, I must admit, where this moment, this prayer has more meaning for me than other Sundays. There are some times when I do this and it's almost perfunctory. I'm doing it almost by memorization. We do it all the time. Time for the prayer of admission. Let's kind of go through the motions. Let's say it. Let's get silent. Let's come back together. Holy interruption and do it again and again and again. This is not one of those Sundays for me. It's one of those Sundays during this time where I really have to admit I have some things I need to admit. 
I really need some forgiveness, particularly in this last particular week here for us as a people, as a country, as a world. I got a little bit tired and frustrated with just stuff, with just people, with just the world, with everybody, it seemed. Had some ungodly thoughts. Y'all probably never have that. I did. <laughs> I was mad at a few people. Y'all probably never get mad at anybody. I questioned folks. I questioned God. Real talk. God, what are you doing? When will this end? When will this stop? When will we figure this, whatever this is, out? And I wasn't too compassionate in my questioning, by the way. I need forgiveness. I was frail. My faults showed. I need forgiveness. You may not, and if you don't, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor to say this for me and others that do. Let us say the prayer of admission together followed by a moment of silence. God, you call us to be your church. Forgive us when we don't show up for you or for each other. Forgive us when we hurt each other. Help us to be better in our relationship with you and with each other. Family, we are forgiven. Rest assured, we are forgiven. By and through the blood of Jesus, rest assured, we are forgiven. Let us be at peace with each other and forgive each other and love each other. So we're continuing our sermon series today about what do we believe, kind of the confirmation for adults curriculum. Dawn started us out with Jesus a few weeks back. Last week, we talked a bit about the Bible, and today we're talking about church. What are we what are we doing here um, besides coming for the coffee and the cookies? So today we, we read from Mark's gospel, chapter 12, going into, verse, or into chapter 13. So hear now God's word for us today. As Jesus taught, he said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for the sake of appearance say long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. 
Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put, and he watched the crowd put their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, But she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, Jesus replied? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. The word of God to us, the people of God, thanks be to God. So if you've ever been a part of a church that does a season or maybe a month of stewardship, chances are that you've heard these verses from Mark's gospel preached. You know, you've heard about this faithful, unnamed widow. You've heard how she gives all that she has. And you've heard preachers compel you to do the same. You've heard about how Jesus praises this woman for her generosity and her faithfulness and about how Jesus will praise you when you give to the capital campaign. Well, you're not about to hear a stewardship sermon. If you're able, we'd love for you to give to the church, but that's not what I'm preaching on today. Because I've heard those classic interpretations of this text, but when I reread the scripture with fresh eyes, I don't know if Jesus is praising the widow and her actions here. He doesn't say, go and do likewise. He never again references her or tells his disciples, y'all remember that widow? You should be like her. She's not described as perfect, as generous, or as faithful. No, she is described as poor. And she is poor. Two coins and a basket later, now she's bankrupt. And without any tangible assets, she gains the most important thing, the attention of Jesus. And he calls together his disciples who were too busy to notice her and says, look, this poor widow put in more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all she had to live on. I mean, all she had to live on. Barbara Brown Taylor writes that this doesn't look like praise. This looks like lament. I mean, look at this poor woman giving all she has to a system that has failed her. Look at this poor woman. She has nothing left. Look, does it make her foolish or faithful? Maybe a bit of both. Either way, it's not great. Now without any poverty, any money, any resources, any support, chances are she will die of exposure and poverty. Most often this scripture is broken up into three distinct pieces preached on separately. You've got the criticism of the scribes, the praise of the widow, and the foretelling of the destruction of the temple. But the author, Mark, is notorious for mixing in stories, folding them one on top of each other to create meaning and nuance. Like flavors layered on a dish, they build and they interact with one another, combining forces to give us a new perspective. And in the first section, Jesus calls out the scribes for devouring widows. The Greek word means to eat up, to consume entirely. And just verses later, it's what's happening. This woman is devoured of all she has. 
And after this tragedy, Jesus promises that the temple itself will be destroyed. Stone by stone come tumbling down. All this centered on the actions of an unnamed widow. And a first century widow was different than what we know now. With the short life expectancy, it was far more common to be a widow and common at an early age. I mean, if you're picturing this story in your mind, this could be a 70-year-old woman or a 22-year-old mother of three. Being a widow in this era, wrote scholar Samuel Adams, created numerous difficulties from mere survival to the prickly issue of inheritance rights, particularly if the woman did not have surviving male sons. Widows were in a precarious position in the first century, lacking security, lacking agency, and forced to the periphery of society. It seemed that no one really cared about them. But God, according to the scripture, cares a lot about widows. Exodus 22, you shall not mistreat the widow or the fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will hear their cry. Isaiah 1, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Deuteronomy 24, when you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. The stories of Tamar, Judith, Ruth, Orpah, and Naomi, they elevate the significance of these typically marginalized characters. And they put them in the forefront of the importance in the life of our faith. And so this scripture got me thinking about church because this whole scene happens at the temple, the most important Jewish church, the holy place where important stuff happens, where all the deals get made, where important people were. And this widow, she's not important. And Jesus has a complicated relationship with the temple. First and foremost, I think he loves it. It is a place of teaching, of ritual, of fellowship and divine connection. 12-year-old Jesus played hooky from his parents and spent days teaching and learning in the temple. But as he grew up, he gets frustrated with how it's being run. And Jesus doesn't get upset often, but we know that he loses his his temper, temple and temper, man, when things aren't going well in his father's house. He flips tables when the money changers are exploiting the poor. He rebuked his disciples when they wouldn't allow children to come close to him. And he calls out the self-indulgence and the hypocrisy of the church rulers. And here he finds a teachable moment because he spots this woman, this woman that no one else sees and he sees what terrible shape she's in. And her situation is less of a statement about the widow and more of a statement about the failure of the church, about the failure of God's people to prioritize what God has asked them, asked us to do. Rather than create a safe place for her, the church is extracting all they can, letting her dump her last dime into the operating budget to help with the gold plating on the temple exterior. Put in a wicker basket with the hopes of doing something good, and it's clear that what she had wouldn't even make much of a difference. Those few pennies meant a lot more to her than they did to the church. And Jesus knew this, and he's sad, sad at what this holy place had become. And he exits the temple, and when his disciples, clueless as they are, say something along the lines of, look at this awesome building. They're doing something right. And like a frustrated parent, Jesus responds, 
all these great buildings, not one of them will be left. He could be prophesying the future destruction of the temple, or he could be lamenting that this church, this temple is not doing what it was meant to do. It's not creating community. Rather, it's taken all the worst parts of the world and rebranded it as God's will, transactional grace, exploitation, shame, and fear. Shaking his head, walking away. That's not my church, he thinks to himself. Or at least it shouldn't be. I spent my summers in college working, repairing houses for folks in need in and around coal country, West Virginia, Kentucky, and Virginia. And around each mountain, around each holler, there always seemed to be another forgotten mining town, full of kind people, ancestors of miners and loggers who were promised good fortunes and good lives decades ago. And they were told to leave their traditional life and move into company housing for honest work and great pay. Stephen Stoll, in his book, Ramp Hollow, writes how mines would encourage people to not even have their own gardens, to stop learning about hunting and gathering, the things that people in the mountains had done for centuries. Rather, they would just encourage people to buy everything at the company store. It's easier that way. It's the modern thing to do. And they would buy things at the company store with company script, the company's own form of money. And this was strategic, he writes. It created dependence. See, the people needed the mine a lot more than the mine needed the people. Merle Travis wrote about it in his song, 16 Tons, writing, you load 16 tons and what do you get? You get another day older and deeper in debt. St. Peter, don't call me because I can't go. I owe, my, I owe my soul to the company store. Stoll points out that humans were expendable. There was an instance when a catastrophic explosion struck a mine in Kentucky and the internal communication between bosses, they, they were more saddened about the loss of one mule over 12 workers. See, a mule costs money, but there are always more miners who are willing to work for next to nothing, knocking on the door. People were dispensable. I imagine Jesus sitting outside the company store, gathering his disciples and saying, look, look at that miner. He walks with a limp from an accident that the company denies liability. Look at him, look at him pay for his family's meal with the last of his company's script. Look at how we failed him. I really believe that Jesus was and is upset with the expendability of people. If Jesus makes one thing clear in his ministry, it's that people matter, especially those whom society would deem not to, to the invisible ones, the ones where he has to say to his disciples, look at her. And it's not that downtown church needs to focus all of our energy on widows. The widow in this scripture can be replaced with anyone, anyone who is unseen, desperate, or alone. I think of the folks who Dawn includes when she says, those who nobody loves. The one who sits in chemo treatments, cold and alone. The one who wakes up each morning and tries to hide their crippling depression. The one whose bills are piling up and they've got children looking to them asking, mommy, why are you stressed? Anyone in those shoes knows what it's like to toss in your last coin 
aware that no one is watching, thinking that no one cares that you just gave your life away. But Jesus saw the widow and Jesus cared. He cared because he knew that the great asset of the church is not the temple, it's not the extravagant buildings, it's not the pastors, the musicians, the staff, or the scribes who walk along in long robes. The greatest asset of the church is the people. All the people make up the church. And our churches can and should look different because we look different. I mean, I grew up in a 4,000 member church with uncomfortable wooden pews, red carpet, and a ferociously loud organ. But I loved it. I felt loved, I felt seen, I felt heard. And now I work in a church in an old energy facility where as soon as the pastor says, go in peace, this area turns into a playground for the kids. Cookies become currency and you're just as likely to hear a Johnny Cash song as you are to sing along to a centuries old hymn. I mean, these things make us unique, but they don't make us the church. I think what makes us the church is a collection of broken people, the joining of voices and hearts to say, we cannot do this alone. The declaration that we need God, we need each other, and we need to build up a place that looks different than the world around us. And a large part of the world around me comes secondhand through conversations with high school youth. And what I often hear after they're done making fun of me for my shoes or old man phrases is about the demands of being in high school. I hear about the classes, the sports, the practices, the essays, the AP and IB exams, the countless questions from uncles and friends of, where are you going to college? What do you wanna do when you grow up? I hear about SAT scores, recruitment videos, math contests, sports tryouts, dance competitions, and it makes my brain hurt. It sounds demanding. And it's demanding in a very specific way. It demands production, it demands output, it wants things from you. And these things are important. Achieving, working hard, earning, these are necessary for and crucial for an effective society and for a fulfilled soul. But if all we do is extract from one another, then there will hardly be anything left. And I think about that poor widow, how the church extracted and squeezed out all that she had and like a spent piece of citrus just tossed her aside. And I think that we need a church that doesn't demand all that people have. We need a church that demands all that people are. A place where those who are invisible are seen. A place where those who have been silenced are heard. A place where those who are told they are unlovable are loved place for the unseen widow, the one who Jesus saw. May this church be a place to be seen, seen fully, not for what you have, but for who you are. Thanks be to God. Amen. But I spend a lot of time alone 
more than I'd like to But I'm okay with staying home My, how the last few months have changed I'm smiling more despite the pain I breathe in And I breathe out Got friends to call who let me talk about What ain't working What still hurting All the things I feel like cussing out Now and then I let it go I ride the waves I can't control I'm learning how to build a better boat I hate waiting Ain't no patience in these hands I'm not complaining Sometimes it's hard to change a man Think I'm stronger than I was I let God do what he does And I breathe in I breathe out Got friends to call and let me talk about What ain't working What still hurt All the things I feel like hustling out Now and then I let it go I ride the waves I can't control I'm learning how to be
Thank you. If all we do is extract from each other, then there will hardly be anything left. Lord, have mercy. Let us pray. God, you give us gifts. You give us creation. You give us each other. You give us Jesus, the reason why we gather. Jesus taught us to draw near to each other, to comfort each other, to warm each other, to challenge each other. We give you thanks, O oh God, for the gift of your church, for the gathering of broken people, of widows and builders and dreamers and landowners of all of us seeking healing from you. And so as the church, we pray today for those who are alone, for those in hospital beds and those on the uncomfortable chairs close by. We pray for the teenagers on the seesaw of anxiety and depression. We pray for those experiencing the monotony of life and for those who feel trapped in a body they cannot control. Surprise us, O oh Lord, in the ways that you do and bring us to life with and for you. Hear us now as we pray together the prayer Jesus taught. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Each week in this sermon series, we are discussing one part of what we believe as a church. And over time, people have taken a pen and some paper and they've written down what we as the church have believed. Those form our confessions of the church. And each week in worship, we stand together and a pastor says, what do we believe? And we share usually words from the Apostles' Creed, though in this sermon series, we are reading some other creeds from different times. So in just a moment, I'm gonna invite you to stand and you'll notice that it's long. So we're gonna take our time and we're gonna stumble over some words and that's okay. It's all right to chuckle some. It's even better if you pause and take note of where you might be curious with some more questions. So at this time, I invite you to stand. Church, what do we believe? The members of the church are emissaries of peace and seek the good of all in cooperation with powers and authorities in politics, culture, and economics. But they have to fight against pretensions and injustices when these same powers endanger human welfare, their strength is in the confidence that God's purpose, rather than human schemes, will finally prevail. The life, death, resurrection, and promised coming of Jesus Christ has set the pattern for the church's mission. His human life involves the church in the common life of all people, his service to men and women 
commits the church to the work for every form of human well-being. His suffering makes the church sensitive to all human suffering so that it sees the face of Christ in the faces of persons in every kind of need. His crucifixion discloses to the church God's judgment on the inhumanity that marks human relationships and the awful consequences of the church's own complicity and injustice. In the power of the risen Christ and the hope of his coming, the church sees the promise of God's renewal of human life and society and of God's victory over all wrong. Glory, hallelujah, I shall not be moved. Of a joy, oh, hey, I shall not be loose just like a tree that's planted by the water. I shall not be moved. In his love abiding, I shall not be moved. And him confiding, I shall not be moved just like a tree. That's planted by the water I shall not be moved I shall not be, I shall not be moved I shall not be, I shall not be moved Just like a tree that's planted by the water have a buddy in Atlanta who he spent most of his nights sleeping out in Piedmont Park. But whenever I would see him at church, I'd say, Richard, it's good to see you. He'd say, Lucas, it's good to be seen. My hope is that this might be a place where we all might be seen, seen fully for what we are, which is imperfect, but beautifully made people made in God's image. May we see 
and be seen. And as we go from this place, may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, may guard your hearts and your minds until we meet again. Friends, go in peace. Alleluia. Amen. If you feel compelled to support the church financially, you can give a secure gift online at downtownchurch.me forward slash give.